Hello, I'm Kristen. I'm going to be doing the uh, Bible reading for our sermon passage tonight, which is in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Uh, in the Church Bibles, it's on page 17. Just give you a moment. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks very much for reading for us, uh, Kristen, and uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Peter Orr, and uh, normally I uh, come uh, to All Saints in the morning, but uh, tonight and last week it's been great to uh, be with you and to open up God's Word. Why don't we pray as we turn to His Word now? Our Father, we thank you for what Paul writes, that all Scripture is breathed out by you, and that it's useful for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And our Father, we pray that as we look at your word now, uh, you would teach us, you would rebuke us, encourage us, correct us, and train us in righteousness for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we uh, thought about how the Bible uh, fits together. This week we're going to think about how to read the Bible. Now, that might seem really obvious. You just, surely you just read the Bible. Uh, but I want us to think more narrowly about how we apply the Bible and particularly how we apply the Old Testament. So we'll think about Old Testament promises, commands, and the historical narrative in the Old Testament. But let's, uh, uh, let me illustrate what we're going to do by playing a quick game of true and false. Now, I'm not going to make you stand up or shout out. You just have to answer uh, in, uh, in your head. Uh, three statements are going to come up on the slide, hopefully, and you have to uh, determine in your head if they are true or false. So here they are. Uh, God wants you to be rich. Okay, true or false. Secondly, God says that certain foods are sinful for a Christian to eat. Uh, thirdly, if, a Christian, uh, if Christians obey God, he will bless our country. Okay, so true or false for each of those. Well, uh, it's a bit of a trick question because they're all true, of course. Uh, the next slide, God wants you to be rich. Proverbs 10, verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Very clear, God wants you to be rich. Um, next slide, certain foods are sinful for a Christian to eat. Leviticus 11, verse 6, uh, mentions the rabbit, uh, the pig in verse 8. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. Okay, so both true. And then thirdly, if Christians obey God, he will bless our country. Deuteronomy eleven thirteen. If you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he'll give rain uh, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil, grass in your fields for your livestock. So if uh, Christians obey, God will bless our country. It's very clear God wants us to be rich, certain foods are sinful, and that if Christians obey him, God will bless our country. Now, hopefully you'll know that something's not quite right, but haven't I just quoted the Bible? Haven't I just, I've, I've 
proven those points from uh, Bible verses. Well, what have I done? I've quoted the Bible, but I failed to put those passages, verses, in their proper context. Really, you can make the Bible say anything that you want if you take verses out of context. Let me prove uh, that. Um, and I just want to warn you that this may rock your faith, but the Bible explicitly teaches that there is no God. <laughs> Psalm 14, verse 1, there is no God. Now, you might want to reconsider, you know, coming on a Sunday night, because really, you know, are we wasting our time if there is no God? The Bible clearly says there is no God. Well, obviously, uh, what have I done? I've taken that out of context. Here's the full verse, Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Uh, when we read the Bible, we have to read it in context. Now, that's an easy example because I just chopped uh, the verse in half. The, the other examples are a bit trickier because, you know, I quoted an entire verse. I didn't chop it in half. I even quoted multiple verses uh, for, for some of them. But this, the issue is the same. We need to read in context. In the cases we looked at earlier, the issue is the historical context. Very simply, all those verses are from the Old Testament. And we're going to see the Old Testament it's God's word to us. The Old Testament applies to us, but it applies to us in a different way than it applied to the people of Israel. We are not Jewish people living in Israel a thousand years uh, before Jesus. Uh, there are certain things that are absolutely the same for us as they were for them, and there are certain things that are very different. But the key thing is to remember that Jesus' birth his death and his resurrection changed the world, changed the world. It changed how we become uh, members of God's people. And critically, tonight, it changes the way that we read the Bible. We can't read the Bible as if Jesus never came. Now, this idea that Jesus changes the way that we read the Bible, that idea is called biblical theology. Now, that might seem a little bit strange to you because surely biblical theology is just, it's good theology. It's theology that is, you know, sound, biblical, in line with, with scripture. But in sort of books and Christian circles, that, that term biblical theology has a more narrow, specific meaning. And it refers to this idea that we need to read the Bible in the light of Jesus. And that means that a verse in the Old Testament might apply very differently to us than it would have done to Solomon or Esther. So here's another example, Hosea 5 verse 8. Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah, sound the alarm at beth Aven. we follow you, O Benjamin. Now that is a command from God's word. How are you going to obey that command? Does it mean that to obey that command, you should fly to Israel Find the ancient site of Gibeah and take out your French horn and play it before moving on to Ramah and uh, playing the trumpet. Clearly not. Uh, we read that verse in the, in the context of, of Hosea. We know that it was spoken to a particular people at a particular time. And it applies to us in a different way than it applied to the original hearers. So what I want us to do this evening is just to think about how we read the Old Testament promises, commands, and the, the historical narrative, and think about how we read them properly and apply them to ourselves 
so that we don't uh, distort them. The basic principle is that we read the Bible as people who are in Christ. We read the Bible as people who are in Christ. We remember that Jesus changes the way that we read the Bible. Uh, We can't read the Bible as if Jesus has not come. We can't read the Bible, we can't read the Old Testament as in the same way as someone uh, before Jesus came. Uh, Jesus has changed the world and Jesus has changed us. And so that impacts how we read the Bible. So let's think about uh, commands uh, first of all. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount uh, reflects on uh, the difference that his coming has made to the commands in the Bible. So in Matthew 5 verse 17 he says... Uh, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, and then this next bit is very important, but to fulfill them. Uh, Don't think that I've come to sort of set aside, abolish, do away with the Old Testament, with the law and the prophets. But don't think that I've come to just repeat them so that they stay the same. I've not come to abolish them, I've not come to repeat them, but I've come to fulfill them. And that language of fulfillment, that's the language of continuity and discontinuity that we're we're thinking about. Means that we can't read an Old Testament command in the same way that Jesus has come, but it also means that we can't just uh, say of an Old Testament command, oh, that just doesn't, you know, we we just kind of keep reading because that doesn't apply to us in any way. At all. So let's take a really obvious example. Uh, the command not to murder, uh, it's part of the Ten Commandments. Does that continue today? Yes, it does. It does. In case of any, uh, uh, any doubt in that, it, it, it continues today. It's repeated in the, uh, in the uh, New Testament. But look at what Jesus says just a few verses later in Matthew 5, verse uh, 21 of Matthew 5. You've heard it said to those who have old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So it's not just physical murder that is ruled out. It is the murder that we do in our hearts when we are angry at other people. So the command continues, but it doesn't continue in the same form. Now, in this example, it's expanded. Not not every command changes in the same way. But every command undergoes a change because Jesus has come. Let's uh, take another example. And I was thinking that this one is uh, a little bit more involved. But let's think about the commands in the Old Testament to sacrifice. Now, instinctively, we might say irrelevant. We we just kind of, when we read those in our Bible, we we skip over them. But actually, let's just stop and think about it for a minute. There are uh, commands in the Old Testament to sacrifice, and basically, you can divide them into two. There are sacrifices that dealt with sin uh, to make atonement, but there were sacrifices that people would would bring to the temple uh, to express their thanksgiving uh, to God. They would give money to, to, to buy an animal, to, to, to sacrifice, to give, uh, to, to, to give thanksgiving to God. So we think about the first one, Leviticus 4, verse 32. If someone brings a lamb as their sin offering, they're to bring a female without defect. They're to lay their hand on its head and slaughter it for a sin offering at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. Why are they going to do that? Because in this way, the priest will make atonement for them 
for the sin they have committed and they will be forgiven. Now, when we read that, what what do we do with that uh, command? Do we sort of obey it in a very literal sense? And do we think, well, if I, you know, I sin, if I want my sins to be dealt with, I I need to make a sacrifice. No, we don't do that because, again, Jesus has made all the difference. And Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 9, 24, Jesus has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus has made the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He's brought sacrifices to their fulfillment. He's done away with sin by a single sacrifice of himself. And so for us to keep making animal sacrifices would actually be a terrible thing because it would be saying, Jesus, we don't think your sacrifice is enough. Thanks very much. We're just going to keep making animal sacrifices. Okay, so it it would be, in a sense, it would be wrong. Not in a sense, it would be wrong for us to obey that in a literal sense. But then what do we do with that verse? Do we just ignore it? When we read it in, in Bible study, do we just skip over? Oh, that's just, that's old stuff. We don't just keep going. No, because that Old Testament command reminds us that sin needs to be dealt with. And it reminds us that Jesus has dealt with, um, uh, with our sin. And so how do we obey Leviticus 4.32? We do it by trusting in Jesus and his sacrifice. That's how we obey uh, that command. So the, the command, in a sense, it, it still sort of binds us. But the way that we obey it is different to the way that someone in the Old Testament period would, would, uh, would obey it. We obey it by trusting in Jesus and his sacrifice. So when we read those verses in the Old Testament that talk about God's people making sacrifices for sin, we don't say, well, that, that command is utterly irrelevant for us. And nor do we say, we need to obey this in exactly the same way. No, we, uh, we understood that this command has been fulfilled in Jesus. And so we obey by trusting in Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice. But what about the second type of sacrifice? Do we still obey those commands? So Leviticus 22, verse 29, when you sacrifice a thank offering, so this is not a sin offering to deal with sin, this is a thank offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. Do we still do that? Well, we obey this command, but we don't do it in the same way. We don't uh, offer animals, but the New Testament, interestingly, frequently uses the language of sacrifice, but it does so in a spiritual sense. So Romans 12, verse 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living, as a living sacrifice. Philippians 4, verse 18, uh, the gift the Philippians give is a fragrant offering. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 15, through Jesus, let us continually offer Uh, to God, a sacrifice of praise. So in other words, when we read these uh, Old Testament commands about sacrifice uh, to express their thankfulness to God, again, we don't say that command is irrelevant to us, but we don't say we, we must obey this in exactly the same way. No, we obey by giving our lives to God as those forgiven by Christ, by giving our finances to support the work of the gospel, by praising God. Uh, The commands uh, continue. They apply to us, but they apply to us in a different way because we are in Christ. And so we read the Bible in the light of Jesus. That's commands. Uh, What about uh, promises? 
Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1, all the promises of God find their yes in him. Just like all the commands are fulfilled in Jesus, all the promises find their yes in him. So if we think of the foundational promises that we saw last week in Genesis 12, uh, that Christian just read for us, or in Genesis 15, uh, that blessing comes uh, uh, through Abraham. But again, Jesus makes all the difference. Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. So the promise comes to us, not because we are physically descended from Abraham, but it comes to us by believing in Jesus. And so we belong to him, and so we become recipients of the promise. So again, just with the commands, the the promises to God come to us through Jesus. Uh, What about that idea we thought about earlier? If we obey God, uh, he will bless us. Uh, We saw it in Deuteronomy uh, 11. Uh, And I think this is somewhere that as Christians we can easily uh, go wrong. Uh, We think that if we live a godly life, God will bless us with health and wealth. And when that doesn't happen, we somehow think that God is displeased with us. Because we read verses like this and and it it says that if, uh, if you obey, you will be blessed. And so in in my life, if I'm not sort of, uh, if, if things are difficult... Uh, Does that mean that, you know, I've done something wrong? Is there some sort of hidden sin that I I need to repent of? But again, this misunderstands uh, what God has done in Christ. It misunderstands who we are. So this promise in Deuteronomy 11 is given to the nation of Israel. Uh, We don't relate to God in the same way. We don't relate to him as a nation. We relate to him in Christ. Very simply, because Jesus has obeyed God, because Jesus has fulfilled the conditions of this command, well, God has blessed him. And that blessing comes to us through him. Paul tells us that God has blessed us. Ephesians 1 verse 3. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly places. We have every spiritual blessing there is. Now that might sound like, you know, it's not really, you know, like, you know, the Old Testament promises material blessings. And maybe you're thinking, you know, I'd like some material blessings, you know, like spiritual blessings are all well and good. But I, I need material blessings. But actually, when you read on in Ephesians, what are these spiritual blessings? Well, Paul speaks about forgiveness of sin, adoption as children of God. Could there be anything more significant than that? And what's more, we will receive material blessing in the new creation. We thought about that last week. You know, the new creation. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. And God will bless us in so many ways there. So Deuteronomy 11 applies to us. It doesn't apply to us with no change. No, it applies to us in Christ. God has blessed us in Christ. And there's also a sense that as we continue to obey, we do obtain blessing from God. In John 13, uh, Jesus speaks uh, uh, about his followers and how they're to serve one another sacrificially. 
and to love one another. And at one point he says this, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed if you do them. Now, he doesn't mean if you do these things, if you love one another, if you serve one another, you'll gain more material things. Not at all. But he means that if you continue to obey, if you do these things that I've told you, you will grow in your relationship with God. You will grow in your experience of the Christian life. That's true, and it's not talking about perfection. But as we grow in obedience to God, uh, we grow in our relationship with him. So the commands of the Bible are given to us as people who are in Christ. We can't read them as if we're not in Christ. And the promises are given to us as people who are in Christ. We can't read them as if we're not in Christ. I just want to finish briefly by thinking about uh, the historical narrative, particularly in the Old Testament. And uh, we'll think about a very famous uh, story in the story of David and Goliath. Uh, perhaps one of the most uh, famous stories if you've been a Christian for a long time, you'll, you know, you'll uh, know the story of David and Goliath uh, very well. And it's perhaps uh, one of the, the Old Testament stories that's the easiest to misapply. So here's 1 Samuel 17. Uh, All the men of Israel, when they saw Goliath, uh, fled from him and were very much afraid. When the Philistine Goliath arose and came and drew near to meet David... David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Uh, you can find... Uh, hundreds of sermons on the internet uh, that deal with this passage. It's a very, very popular passage for internet preachers uh, to look at. And, and often the way that they approach this passage is something like this. They, they'll ask, what, what are the giants in your life? What, what giants are you facing in your life? Uh, you know, maybe it's, it's loneliness. Maybe it's stress. Uh, maybe it's, you know... Uh, teacher at school who's really difficult you know what what are the giants in your life and then what can you learn from David uh, to defeat the giants in your life now we, we didn't read this but uh, earlier in in uh, the narrative it tells us that that David had five stones in his uh, pouch and and the preachers will sort of uh, think about what what are our five stones you know prayer Bible reading, evangelism, faith, and hope. And you know, any one of those stones can defeat uh, the giant in our life. And, uh, you know, you, you read that and you, you get really kind of, oh, yeah, I can, I can defeat the giants in, in my life. The problem is, the problem is it's totally the wrong way to read that passage. If we remember what we saw last week, we remember that the Bible is about God's plan to fix the universe, including us, through his son. We remember that the Bible says that Jesus is the new David. If we remember those things, well, we realize and we remember that in this story, we are not David. We're not the hero of the story. Now, if we're going to read ourselves into that passage, who are we? We are the terrified Israelites. We're suffering at the hands of the enemies of God's people. 
And really, if we read the New Testament, what, what are our enemies? Our enemies are sin. Our enemy is the devil. Our enemy, our great enemy, is death. And like Israel, we need someone to save us. We, we are hopeless. We, we can't save ourselves. We are terrified of our enemies, our spiritual enemies. But wonderfully, God has given us a new David. God has given us someone who is even greater than David. Uh, the Lord Jesus didn't just triumph over uh, a Philistine giant. The Lord Jesus has triumphed over sin and death and the devil. And like David, he's triumphed in the most unusual way. You know, David had just five small stones. Jesus triumphed by laying down his life. Now, when, when we read a passage like that, when we read the Old Testament, we, we're, we're reading it from a different perspective. We remember that we're not the hero. Jesus is the hero. We remember that we're not the ones who are going to save the world, defeat the giants. Jesus is the one. And so when we read David and Goliath, it applies to us. It applies to us wonderfully. But it doesn't apply to us by saying, be like David. No, it applies to us by reminding us that Jesus is like David, but even greater. And we can trust in him to rescue us, not just from physical enemies, but from spiritual enemies. He will save us and rescue us forever. So we read that passage and we trust in our Savior. We trust in Jesus. The Bible is a wonderful book. It's a book that Paul says uh, that the whole Bible, the Old Testament, is written for us. And it's written for our encouragement. And as we read the Bible, we remember that we are those who have been saved by the Lord Jesus. We can't and we shouldn't read uh, the Bible as if Jesus never came. No, Jesus' coming changes everything. It doesn't mean that we, we rip up the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that we ignore the Old Testament. Not at all. That is God's word to us. But it does mean that we read all the Bible just like we do everything in the Christian life. We read it by faith in Jesus. We read it by faith in Jesus. And consistently, all the way through the Bible, God reminds us that Jesus is the great hero, not us. We're the ones who need saving and rescuing. But wonderfully, Jesus has done it all. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he has rescued us from sin, from the devil, and from death. And Father, we thank you for passages like David and Goliath that remind us that Jesus has done that, that point us to him. And give us great confidence in our Savior. Father, please help us as we uh, read the Bible. Please help us to love the Bible. Please help us to read all of the Bible uh, as those who are in Christ. And to read with faith in him. And we ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.